0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. My name is Chris Servichon here, as always, with my co-host, Jeremy Wells. Jeremy, what's up, man? How's it going? Going great, Chris. Thanks.
1: Uh, Super
0: excited uh, for another episode and another guest in the studio today. Yep. I remember the first time I did a podcast. Um, We should definitely not edit that out. (laughs) So with us today, we have a super special guest, Adam Hale of Summit CPA. Adam is basically one of the godfathers of the caz world uh, of which we are all now operating so adam welcome to the show and the first question i'm going to ask you is how do you define caz
2: well we should start with like how that godfather kind of lands it in one instance it makes me feel even older than what i am i mean don't get me wrong i've got the the the, the snow covered at the top of the hair coming in but uh but then i also feel like You know i need to have a gold chain or something you know the godfather
0: you know something there but uh you definitely should you should have a gold chain that says cas oh
2: there you go we could even get it in there that's good yeah and so now we don't have to worry about those uh two point cas 1.0 2.0 those kind of things um i would say like so cas originally it said what client accounting services is what it was Mm -hmm. and now they've kind of made this Um, evolution to client advisory services. And that's very similar to our background and what we did as well. Um, I know we've had conversations about how we got started and it was pretty unintentional whenever we're talking about client accounting services. Um, It was back in 2002, whenever we started summit, we just, really couldn't afford tax seasons we didn't want to work that long in that compressed amount of time so like most firms of the day we were doing um, you know write-up services you know to kind of smooth things out a little bit but we started taking on real-time accounting um, and whenever I mean real-time accounting it's stuff everybody does today like paying the bills making sure everything's moving but back in 2002, technology did not make that easy i mean we were printing our own checks and i mean i mean the actual check like we'd get the microtoner ink and like put it in there create the clients checks we had stocks of different clients checks and we were mailing that stuff out everybody in the industry said we were just crazy right like why would you ever want to be the bookkeeper um that's not really the role of the accountant but you know garbage in garbage out we were kind of finding the need and finding our way and We did that pretty successfully, you know, what would, what I guess would be called client accounting services, you know, bookkeeping and accounting for that first 10 years. And then right around 2012, we made the pivot, um, like officially, you know, we were always like every CPA firm out there, you're giving away tons of great advice, right? You're going through their financials, you're meeting with them monthly but we weren't uh, monetizing that advice. We weren't bottling up that wisdom and doing it in a very structured way. And I'd say it's probably about 2012, 2013. We really got intentional with going. No, this is this is advisory. You know, this is what the clients actually want and need. They, you know, the other stuff's kind of permission to play. We need that in order to talk to them. And so we just. You know, we started uh, coming up with a delivery system, which, of course, back then was really um, easy because it was just my partner and I. Uh, We had totally different styles. Clients got completely different experiences working with he and I. I mean, they got a good one with me and with Jody. They're just kind of like, oh, why can't we meet with Adam? (laughs) You know, that kind of a thing. But um No, I I mean great experiences both way. But it wasn't until we started to scale the business that it really became important for us to, you know, start noticing like, oh, wait a minute. Just because somebody comes in with a ton of experience, they understand, you know, the industry or small business doesn't mean that they're able to deliver advisory services. And so that was kind of our evolution. Um, You know, trying to productize advisory is what we've really been focusing uh, the last ten years. But I know I didn't directly answer your question. Whatever you say, client accounting services or client advisory services, I think it's both. I mean, I really do think it's CAAS. I don't think that. I think accounting services are necessary, and I think it's okay that we do them. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, the real value add is at the the back end of that on the advisory side.
0: But you guys were a full ten years in before you started to pivot to a productized service. I mean, that's that's a pretty big takeaway there for you know, the firm owners were out there just getting started, like muddling through trying to figure it out. Like I'm, I'm one of them for sure. Um, but 10 full, like 10 full years to figure that out. I mean, that's, that's something. Well, we're
2: slow learners.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, again,
2: technology wasn't out there and nobody was doing it. Right. Like we were the laughing stock. I remember specifically we went to a, we went to a, Is I'm not going to, say the speaker's name but as a big speaker and it was like the firm of 2020 like firm of the future what does it look like and they just flat out told us in front of the entire group that like what we do and how we do it which would never work fixed fee billing won't work that's stupid just doing ba- you know doing the back end accounting not our work we shouldn't be living there like they just put us down in front of the in- i mean to the point where i mean jody doesn't visibly get upset a whole lot but he like he kind of went back and forth and we got up and we left. Now we took like four or five other firms with us and we actually still, I was actually trading emails with them today. We still meet as a group. It's no, now it's called the 2030 group. Cause you know, obviously 2020 is <laughs> already passed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we were just kind of, you know, there, there just wasn't very many firms. Um, and it, there wasn't as much connective tissue as there is now with, you know, hearing podcasts or, you know, with the internet being so pervasive in terms of these other ways to see what other people are doing, that just didn't really exist back then. And nobody advertised like accounting firms. Hell, the reason why we got so heavy into SEO marketing and we do really well on the web is because from day one, like most of our innovation, it came from just being broke. Like we couldn't afford to, you know, pay the big, huge ad that was in the the yellow pages. You know, you had to buy the whole full, all the big firms bought all of them. We were like, nah, we're going to the web because it's cheap, you know? And then that's what landed us clients kind of all over the country as they started looking it up. But again, that stuff just didn't, just didn't really exist. So it was hard to draw comparisons and, and pool ideas back then.
0: Were you guys a early adopter of, um, like social advertising as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like we right out of the gate, we did, I mean, we weren't doing PPC stuff. So we weren't doing the paid media. We were doing all content marketing. So we were, I mean, we were blogging every single day, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, we just polluted the airwaves. I mean, if you looked up virtual CFO firms, we were always number one. We did the same thing on virtual uh, audits. Number one, you know, back then too, nobody they actually thought you're not allowed to do, uh, 401k audits virtually. And we systematized that, built that out and, and made it, you know, where we were in the top 1% of the U S doing 401k audits, uh, cause we were doing them nationally and we were doing them remotely. Um, which again was a little bit of a challenge, you know, whenever you think about it, I mean, our first platform was, uh, um, Oh, what was that? I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but it took us a long time to get off of it, but it was before zoom and teams and all these other things. Um, and it was, uh, it was difficult to get clients in Oregon or California or New York to meet with you for an hour on a video conference that they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the headsets. They weren't used to it. Um, so it's all been kind of a little bit of an evolution.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that hasn't been a thing until even fairly recently. Um, so two thousand two, two thousand twelve, that's when you're kind of figuring it out, getting ready to productize it. Two thousand twelve you, you really got a productize offering. Now I'm curious like, how does that timeline interplay with moving to cloud accounting? Like QBO, I think started to become somewhat popular kind of in that in that time range, if I'm remembering correctly.
2: Yeah, but it sucked. I mean, if you if, it if, did. if you remember it yeah. was like it came on and it was terrible. Um, to the point where yep. I think I think Intuit even said it was terrible because we used Right Networks from the jump, um, and so I remember, I remember Rob Parsons. If, you, if Rob Parsons is listening or finds this, he was like one of three people. Right Networks is massive now. They you know they do all the cloud hosting, but he was like he was our tech, he was our sales guy, he was the receptionist, he was like everything for him. Um, we used them very early on, and I think at one point Intuit basically said, "Hey, we're going to punt." Because our product sucks and we're going to just, you know, live with desktop and I think that's right whenever zero came onto the scene and whenever zero came onto the scene, you saw just a quick pivot back and then all of a sudden, you know, I wouldn't even give QBO the time a time of day for a little while um, and then. You know, it was about a year or two after they'd made a lot of improvements and people are like, Hey, no, you gotta look at this. And my team was using it, so I finally relented and it's great now. Um, but yeah, it was cloud accounting was was really big then. I, I would say too, um, you know, we might have started productizing it in two thousand and twelve. Um, but now you do advisory, right? Whenever clients yep, come, sure. to, so whenever clients come to you, what do you usually lead with?
0: Oh, uh, it's always the advisory stuff, right? Like we put tax pretty much at the back end, uh, but it's all, always the advisory stuff, and then I would say probably the nuts and bolts accounting slash bookkeeping that kind of gets sandwiched in the middle.
2: Yep, and that's that's the same for us. But see, that took us a little while to realize because. The, the way, and I think today still in CAS, what they'll teach you is like, you'll see all the big accounting firms now are doing CAS 1.0, and they're trying to figure out CAS 2.0, which is the advisory side, right? So I'm talking about going from, from being the accountant to doing the advisory stuff. And what they'll always tell you is the great lead in is to do all the accounting work for them. And then you can upsell them to advisory. And I would say, bullshit. Um, and the reason being is, and, and you guys probably know this, that's a bit of a hard sell. You know, it's, it's, it's no different than whenever whenever you put somebody really good on an account and they're maybe they're the accountant. And then they've, over the years, they've become a CFO. Great CFO can lead a client, but you can't make them the CFO on the client that they've been the accountant on for the last three years. The client just doesn't see them that way, right? Um, and so... That's kind of the way it feels sometimes. I'm not saying that you can't upsell clients. That's not what I'm getting at. But I remember specifically, um, I, I didn't have the courage really to sell advisory first. What I would always do is I'd say, hey, look, new client. We're going to help you with your short-term cash flow. We're going to pay all your bills. We're going to do this. We're going to do your taxes. Guess what? We're going to do that all for the same price or less than what you would um, hire somebody internally. And then on top of it, you don't have to pay somebody third party like us to clean it up because we're already there. And I'm going to give you all this great advice. I'm going to help you with a forecast. I'm going to do all this stuff. That's like a cherry on the top, right? And I just remember the client, like we were, we were sitting at a bar and he just started laughing. He goes, Hey, Adam, like explain to me why you explained to me for like 10 minutes, like your value proposition and how I get it. Like I'm trading off and I'm going to get a better service for these other two things. But then you just kind of threw the advisory on the top. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, that's kind of the way in and that's the justifying the fees. And he's like, he's like, man, I would pay you all that money you just talked about. To have this conversation where we're talking about my business without any of that other stuff. And not that I didn't already know that or think that personally, but I guess it took really hearing it from a prospective client, which ultimately became a client, to hear him say it that way kind of gave me the courage to go, yeah, you know what? You're right. We need to be leading with advisory first. You know, and again, that took a couple of years. So that's probably like 2014 or 15 before I was like, no, it's gonna be. You come to us for advisory services. And then if you need accounting services, we'll do them for you or we'll oversee your team doing it. And then, of course, if you need taxes, but if your uncle does it, I don't really care. If you need the taxes, we do that. And so we do accounting services for probably about 40% of our clients and then we do taxes for about 80% of our clients but we do advisory services for almost 100% of our clients because that's the way you know outside of some legacy clients that's the that's the only reason why people come to us so but that was as a big mindset okay shift.
1: but put that in terms that either an accountant that isn't thinking in terms of advisory services right somebody that for 10 15 20 years has only been doing tax returns like 1040s, you know, or somebody that's only been doing bookkeeping, right? Monthly close, send the financials off, those kinds of things. So this, this, you know, to just wrap everything else up into advisory services and just say, well, here, go do this instead. That's kind of like, you know, they just don't know what that means. Right. And then also from the customer's perspective to say, here. Buy advisory services from me, right? like it's not you can't just put a box on the shelf that says advisory services and clients are showing up to buy that. so like what what does that actually look like in tactical like I'm on a sales call I'm trying to convince this you know small business owner who doesn't want to spend a dime more than they have to on admin and accounting and legal and all this kind of stuff like what what do I actually need to be trying to sell them? what do I actually you know need to be putting together and telling them about to make them want to buy advisory services from me.
2: Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, unfortunately though, a lot of people do just put advisory on their screen and or on their website and say, Hey, buy yeah, I know. And I'm trying and to like, I'm
1: trying to like get around that
2: and they're like, yeah. crap, somebody bought it. Now um, what do I do? <laughs> you know, it's like, what, um, I can tell you what advisory means for us. Um, in in and, and where we live is I think from a, right now, I think it's going to move upstream, like we've started to move upstream from this, but I'll tell you what our bedrock is, what our, you know, our table stake is here is financial forecasting. So it's about helping the client getting and in, getting intentional with where their business is going. So whether that's optimization, improving profitability, whether it's improving sales, whether it's an exit coming, it's about understanding where the client's at right now, why they got into the business in the first place, where they're at in that journey and where they ultimately need to go. And then putting together here's the tactical piece. Putting together what what I always tell them is, you know, from a financial perspective, I'm going to show you. I'm not even going to just tell you what I think, right? Cuz advising is a lot of teaching and showing and those kind of things. I'm going to be able to show you how you're gonna get there and what you're gonna to need to do. So I'm gonna build a very dynamic financial forecast. I mean, I'm not gonna just say it's 3% of sales last year, 5%. I'm gonna find out what those key metrics are, those lead indicators that are gonna drive your forecast that typically just live in the revenue section, right? Like that's the, that's the heart of it. That's what I'm gonna dig into. Um, and then I'm going to build out your chart of accounts based off of that. I'm going to remap them, you know, your cogs and, and all your overhead. I'm going to build you a dynamic forecast. I'm going to include the balance sheet because anybody can put one together in a G sheet or Excel if it's just the income statement. But as accountants, we know who cares about the income statement. Again, that's just a way to get to the balance sheet. We care about cash, uh, we care about just liquidity, all those kind of things. So I'm going to show you a very detailed plan. And we're going to talk and I'm going to help hold you accountable to the execution of this plan, your team, depending upon which service level you pick. I might be working with your sales team, your operations team, making sure operations, sales and finance are all kind of rowing in the same direction. But I'm going to use that financial forecast to really show you what the future looks like. And if you don't like that, then we can retool it and it's going to be kind of our GPS. And as we're working with you over time. If, you know, if we get off track, I'm going to use that to pull us back on, you know, those kind of things. And we're going to get really intentional with operating the business.
1: So is this CFO services, what you're describing or CFO something different from that? Because that sounds like that, that sounds like a sort of fractional C-suite level kind of work, right? It's a lot of, it's beyond just reporting, right? It's like, now I'm actually going to be influencing decision-making. Is that is that accurate to say?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. It's um, your respond It's kind of an FP&A role, so it's financial planning and analysis, because you're going to be responsible for the budget that turns into a forecast. Um, you're going to be helping. You're going to join that c level suite with our clients. We, you know, again, depending upon the level of service, we run a subscription-based business, so it's like a small, medium, and a large, if you will. So I'm meeting you with monthly, semi-monthly, or weekly. I'm going to show you, you know, in maintenance different parts of your business. That's kind of how we productized it um, around this financial forecast. I'm going to show you how to do that and help you make strategic long-term and short-term business decisions. And uh, and then where, where I said we're kind of going upstream, like the one piece that we're probably a little bit light on. Um, because we're so heavy in the FP&A space, is moving upstream a little bit with a little bit more risk management. You know, and, and a true CFO has risk management as their is their title. Um, so we're kind of trying to make sure that we're incorporating that stuff in as well.
0: You mentioned FP&A quite a bit. So how are you staffing like this kind of function? Is this you're you're staffing it with FP&A people, or are you are you staffing it with Um, People from industry for whatever industry it is that you're serving, you know, whatever uh, client that uh, that or whatever industry that client is in or these accountants that you're teaching how to do this. Like what's kind of that strategy and how's that go?
2: Yeah. So that's also been an evolution. So we used to, as you would imagine, as you're smaller, you can't afford to have all these different roles on your team. So multiple people are wearing the same hat. So our senior accountant role would be both the accountant, the you know, overseeing the books doing the bill, maybe have an accountant underneath them, entering the bills and doing all that kind of stuff, but they're controlling cash over here and they're doing the advisory work. Um, now, since we've merged with Anders this last year, they had an entire accounting department. So they had a 20 person accounting team. Not to say we weren't doing that stuff already, but we're like, hey, we need to move some of our team over there and just kind of embrace their accounting model. And then that way, our team, the, the other side of the house can just focus on advisory. So we're focusing that... Um, senior accountant, if you will, to be in the advisory space and this this is actually a very relevant conversation that we're having right now um, because the argument has come back we have financial data analysts on the team and then we've also talked well, isn't this by definition a finance major rather than an accounting major like that's that's the argument that I keep getting pushed back on and here's my here's my uh, here's my thesis is that uh, no, it's not a finance person because it's so heavily accounting. Needed, you know what I mean? Like we live in the world of small businesses. If I was working for GM or Coca-Cola, you're right, finance person, FP&A person, they're in the department with FP&A people. Put them there. The problem is, is we're so close to the ground. We're working with companies that are twenty-five million dollars to a million dollars in annual revenue. They need a more heavy lift, somebody to understand the accounting and the financials, not just like this very small piece of the of the pie so our team has to be able to to reach down and touch the accounting and then lift into the fpna so senior accountant for me is the best way to go like once they've kind of worked through figuring out making sure they've kind of mastered the accounting role then it's time to start bolting on things like you know how to understand You know, they already should know RevRec, but then how that plays into, you know, building a forecast, maintaining the forecast, handling the tools, pipeline, customer pipelines, those kind of things.
1: You mentioned RevRec, but then also a big part of this for small businesses is cash flow. So how important is the accrual versus cash distinction in the way you're operating and the way you're training your people to operate?
2: Yeah, we do everything accrual based, which can be a bit of a rub, especially for really small clients. Um, They wanna operate in cash and don't get me wrong, it's industry specific. So for instance, if you're working with a doctor's office, you might say, hey, like that's cash basis, those kind of things. But for a lot of the clients that we're working with, we're talking about these key performance indicators. So if you're invoicing clients on a regular basis and you're either just doing it based off of when you decide to send the invoice, or when you decide to collect the cash, it's gonna throw all our metrics off. Now I can't tell you the story of why we did well last month, because we did well because eight people decided to pay us early. That's not truly what happened. So we have to do everything kind of on an accrual basis, but we separate um, short-term cash flow from long-term cash flow, and we educate our clients on it. So monthly, we're going through the the P&L, the you know the forecast and everything, and we do the same thing on the balance sheet. We play out the balance sheet for the next 12 months, so they can kind of see where everything's ebbing and flowing. Like, hey, we're assuming this much in AR, this much in WIP, this much in inventory, whatever that looks like. Um, and then, but we do a 13-week cash burn, and we meet with the client on a weekly basis to help them understand not at the account level so financials are at like this is the income account this is the expense account but at the cash flow level we talk to them about no these customers owe us this money when and these vendors we owe money and this is when and we use a tool called a cash flow tool from finagraph and that actually um works directly in with like qbo qbd um, and it's a brilliant tool i mean we we had a very similar tool that we built homegrown and we use for non-QBO or QBD clients. Um, but whenever they put it into a software, we were like, ah, this is exactly what we were wanting. So it's a great tool if you're help- if you're helping clients with short-term cash
0: flow. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at CPA Okay, let's get back to the show.
1: So speaking of cash flow over the last couple months now, uh, we've had issues with banking. Have any of your clients been affected by that? And if so, what's your role been in helping them get through that?
2: Yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I was kind of talking about the um, risk management. Really, from an advisory standpoint, we really need to lean into it. We've been. We've been able to be lazy over the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so because everything's just been, you know, checkmark, checkmark, like no problems with the banking industry. Economy's been great. You know, there's been a few ebbs and flows, but but for the most part, we've been pretty spoiled, I think, the last 15 years or so. We did have several clients that were affected by uh, SVB, affected by... um, first republic and it kind of made us start thinking again like uh you know what like yes we talked to him about cash reserves and we talked to him about you know nowhere in nowhere in the market is a good place to put short-term funds right now because interest rates were so low that's changing you know it's you're starting to get some pretty good rates on on still being able to keep money pretty liquid so managing those investments and doing those kind of things we definitely wanted to get in front of it with the clients and let them know like this isn't like old school bank crash where it was like A ton of crappy loans, you know. That, you know, I was just talking to my guy from Chase today because they just bailed out First Republic and he's just getting swamped. And I was like, well, at least you're getting swamped with good loans and not crappy ones. Um, And uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, these are all really solid loans. So, um, you know, just calm and I think that in our field as well, we act as a little bit of a psychiatrist. You know, in a lot of instances, because we're dealing with the stress of small business owners dealing with with these kind of problems. And so it's really it's really important that we stay well informed and we can kind of be that cooler in the room for them like, hey, here's where you're at. Here's what we need to do. This is your risk. So this is what your uninsured deposits look like. But you're with Chase Bank. If Chase Bank goes out you might as well just burn the cash anyway. Cause we're all in trouble. You know what I mean? Or we tell them, Hey, if you want to diversify, you know, we talked about the different uh, Cedars programs and all those kind of things that, you know, frankly, nobody really cared about 15 years ago. That's why we haven't really said anything about them, but we're making sure that we're keeping that in our arsenal now, whenever we talk to clients.
0: So I'm, I'm curious, you're in a, um, a fairly mature uh, firm right now, right? In a, economic environment that's not as bad as like you know 2007 2008 2009 was and right now you're being intentional about risk management i'm kind of curious how was that different for you in 2007 2008 2009 where you're a relatively young firm still kind of like figuring it out and doing that risk management piece with clients in a much worse economic environment
2: yeah much worse yeah there was uh um and you know who knows what the you know I think at that time, I didn't really have the perspective of saying, I know how we're going to get through this, and I know that this forecast will lead you through. What I can tell you is on the outside of the 2008 financial crisis, I can tell you, hands down, the majority of my clients that we walked through and we we really got them fit through a good financial forecast, they all kept coming back and going, man, if I would have just done this before the crisis you know, because they were just living and and things were really good. Um, they're like, if I would have just done all of this pre-drop, pre, pre um, drop, I would have been in such great shape. And we're like, yeah, you're right. You would have been, I mean, you're in good shape now, but you're right. You would have been in better. So we like, we took that on and, and that's kind of the pitch that, you know, again, we haven't had to use that one for, you know, 10 plus years because the economy hasn't been that way, but we've always told our clients, Hey, like we've seen those bad times and we know that financial forecasting will be your best defense to basically recession-proof your business and help carry you through, so that you can make non-emotional decisions throughout that process. So, um, so I would say, like in the midst of it, we were just kind of like, "Oh crap!" Hopefully, we can, you know, it was just triage mode, right? Trying to help people get through it, and we were really you know, they say, uh, you know, calm seas don't make strong sailors. Well, we were definitely getting our reps in and learning how to build our forecasts and make sure that they were able to do all the different decision-making pieces that come up whenever financial crisis is hit. And, uh, and we weathered that storm and it, and it ended up really well. So again, from a young firm perspective, I would, I would just say, I am highly confident because I've seen it play out many times that getting that intentional tool is, is helpful. And quite frankly, this is when clients need us the most Um, when things are going well and they're making, you know, 30% bottom line and spending money. Like it's, there's no tomorrow. They're just like, yeah, I'm really good at what I do. I'm not sure why I need your advice, Jeremy. And then whenever it goes the other way, they're like, Oh, help me out. (laughs) You know? So this is where you can really cement your relationship with clients and really flex what we do and how we do
1: it. Yeah. Okay. So let's, think about because we're in this position now where, you know, depending on, you know, which newspaper website you're on, right. Things could go either way right now. Right. So what are some of the like top two or three things that if you're, if you're either wanting to transition into more advisory work, if you're already doing a little advisory work, but you're still kind of new at it, like what are some of those top things that you can just immediately either tell your client, hey, go do this, or you can start, you know, working up a recommendation or some sort of white paper or something for a client or for your clients, right? What are a couple of things that you can just, you know, what's the low hanging fruit, right? That would actually have a little bit of a substantive effect and start building up some of that faith that they'll keep coming back to you if things do go south.
2: I would say, um, I'm going to just turn that that question just a little bit. I would say that um, you're probably already over-servicing your client anyway. You're probably already giving them a ton of advice. What I see is the biggest obstacle in our field is imposter syndrome. Um, because it comes so naturally to you, Jeremy, you see it every single day. You're just like, oh, it's this. and know you should do that. And you're just dispensing wisdom like you know, like it's Tic Tacs or something, and you don't realize how valuable you are in their life and their decision making, I would so I would say rather than giving them more low hanging fruit all the time, and just expecting them to come back, because again, they might not be paying for that anyway, right now, right? Um, I would probably turn my attention and my focus to trying to figure out your own way to productize what advisory services mean to you. Um, so take some of those real life situations and you can do this a couple different ways. You can do it for your own firm first, um, because if you want to understand a financial forecast, the best way to do it is to use it on your stuff. Um, if you can build it for you, that's helpful. Um, I would also say, you know, if you have a couple close relationships with clients that you feel are, are, um, you know, you have a kind of a personal relationship, just say, Hey, look, this is what I'm pivoting to. This is what I think the industry needs. This is what I'm being told it needs. This is where I find, you know, this is where I find value. Um, do you mind if I, you know, sandbox with you and just kind of use you as a pig and, and show you how to do that stuff, even if it's discounted or hell, even for free, we did that for our first two clients. We're like, Hey, we're going to do this, this, and this don't yell at us whenever we screw it up. Um, you're not going to be charged for it anyway. Um, and we still have those two clients to yeah. this day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Okay. So the, the, Key word that keeps coming back up is forecast. Let's assume that, like I say, I'm maybe I'm a tax repayer, I, I get 1040s, maybe 1120s, you know, 1065, that kind of thing. I get tax returns, or maybe I'm a bookkeeper, right? And I, I get financial statements, I get how to read a PL, I get how to read a balance sheet, but I've never done a forecast before. Where do I start? Like, what does that mean? What it, and, and say, like you're suggesting, I just do it for my own firm, right? You know, I we talk about, you know, don't just, don't just make up percentages, like actually base this on something. Where would I start? What's, you know, I open up my new spreadsheet. What do I do?
2: Well, yeah, that's what I say. I would, I would find a good tool. Um, because again, it's, it's not about, you can drop all your numbers down. And I'm sure if you're um, you know, if if you're in this business, you've probably done finding, you know, your own stuff a million times and I wouldn't even recommend doing it into QBO or whatever your accounting software is. Find a good tool. Um, for us for years, it was playing guru. Um, and Plan Guru now is online. Uh, we use Giraffe for almost you know, the majority of our clients now. There's there's a lot of great tools out there, but Giraffe and and Plain Guru both have really good learning opportunities they have a lot of content out there on how to build a dynamic forecast Um, they both have support like whenever you're onboarding your first client to be able to do that so if you're onboarding yourself they'll probably push you in that direction and say hey have you thought about this have you built it this way Um, so i think there's some within the tools that are out there there's some really good support services to really to get going, but to to like kind of even bring that back to the to the client, like if you're going and talking to the client, you really just have to be super curious about their business. I mean, that's like the most important thing. So if you're sitting down with the client and you're cranking out a tax return or, you know, you're just doing your pleasantries or you're cranking out their PLs and you're sending them to them, like sit down with them and talk to them about the business. Like, hey, I've I've seen some trends here. What's going on here? What's going on there? Um, You know, last year versus this year, I saw some, you know, pull up some kind of industry guide like ProfitSense or something and do a little bit of an analysis on some of their common size stuff and just have a business conversation, you know, uh, with your client. What's going on in the business? What are you seeing? You would be, you know, ask a lot of questions and get curious about what they do, how they do it how they make their money, not just looking at their numbers to crank out a tax return. I promise you, if you have that conversation and if you are the remote, if you were just the least bit curious about business and how it operates, um, hell, that's the reason why I stayed in public accounting, to be honest with you. I loved being able to go to a restaurant or be able to go to a car dealership or a repair shop or anywhere I wanted to go. And I could just sit there and talk about the business and people like, Oh, do you used to run a restaurant or were you? Nope. But I helped somebody that managed one. You know what I mean? I helped somebody that has a repair shop. I really enjoyed understanding everything about the business. Um, if, if you have that kind of a passion, if you can kind of turn your, um, your professional curiosity, that direction, more business than finance, you've already got the finance, right? Like permission to play. That's there. Now get that hungry about a business. And it's, uh, it'll happen.
0: Our, our theory is that, um, the basis of strategy is really questions. So that whole curiosity thing, like just ask questions and see what they say, right? And then just go from there.
2: Yep. You just have to be careful because some people, sadly, because I say that all the time, I'm with you and I'm a big fan of the five whys, you know, why this, why, you know, mm-hmm. before you get to the root problem. Yeah. But you've, I would say the only thing that i would position with that is just some intentionality behind your questions and don't be able don't be afraid to share why you're asking the question like midstream and what where your mind's going with stuff because sometimes whenever i tell like a new cfo just like ask a bunch of questions and i'm sitting in there and i'm listening and they'll just they'll ask a lot of unrelated like i mean like a question way over here and a question you know what i mean it's not like they're asking a question like wanting to eventually get here and like working their way down into deeper questions it's like they're just asking questions ask questions i'm like whoa 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 we feels like we're out of control here so just i guess being. I agree with you hundred percent, just saying like, be intentional with where you're going with the questions and make sure that the, the, the prospect or the client's kind of following you in your journey of like drilling deeper with those questions.
0: Yeah, for sure. We, we talk about intentionality all the time. And one of the things that we always talk about is start your question with a what or a how. And then that way, like you're really drilling in, but it's a very kind of, you know, not, I don't want to say non-confrontational, but it's the best word that I have it. Or at this point, like the five whys, I love that too. But, you know, what I found is you have to be really, really intentional on the front end and be like, hey, we're going to play this game. And it's basically like a children's game. And I'm going to ask you five levels of why we're going to get to like this result, this end result, like this end cause. Right. Um, Absent that. I love conversations where you're asking questions that start with what and how with, you know, just the, under, like the intent of understanding the business. And then, then you can build that forecast. You understand the drivers, you understand what's going on. And that's you want there.
2: me to give you my silver bullet that I basically tell all yeah. my entire team, this is, this is your get out of jail free card. Um, it works every time. Um, you're right. And whenever you're talking to a client and you say why, you know, you're oftentimes we're stepping out of our financial lane and we're going into operations or going into sales. And it's really super easy to tick off somebody like, "Whoa, you're questioning, like, I've been doing this for 20 years. You don't know how the airline business works or you don't know you know what I mean like and you're right I don't I'm trying to understand here's here's the get out of jail free card where I can step into any lane I can get in with a, a BD person like business development I can get in with the operations manager it doesn't matter all I start with is financially speaking why would you or from a financial perspective you know why would you if I say that at the beginning of every one of my sentences I can ask anything I want and not piss anybody off. But if you don't start with that, you're right. You'll turn off the operations person. You might make the business person upset because you're at, you're questioning how they do operations. And by all means, you're just the finance person. But what I'm saying is financially speaking, or from a financial perspective, why is they'll never want to box you in the financial arena. And so they're going, okay, I can see how the, Okay, I can see how from a finance perspective it doesn't make sense to you. So let me explain. And then you can kind of go in and you're like, okay, but but you still that hurts you. Why would you do you know what I mean? Like you can still kind of follow that same same theme. And so I've given that like little starting phrase to my entire team. And they're like, man, I get into conversations that they would have normally just like chewed me up if I would have asked, (laughs) you know, especially, you know, you deal with some operators, some COOs. Um, they will take super offense to, you know, I, I would do that all the time with a guy that ran a meat manufacturing plant for, you know, three generations. And I would ask him some hokey ass question about like why he would do this and why he would sell that and why he did. And all I would just say is, Hey, from a financial perspective, you know, I know your great grandpa did all this, but from a financial perspective, why would we do this? And why would you do that? And he, gloves off. He was not you know, not confrontational at all, but you, you went in without saying that he'd be like, cause you don't know meat. (laughs) It's like, I don't, but I know money. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, um, again, that's not where they're going to mess with you. So just, uh, just my little, um, my little tip that served me well
0: over the years. I love that. So just pivoting a little bit so we've talked about a productized service offering and we've talked about the tools that you use uh, to deliver that so Drav, Cashflow tool we're, we're basically in the same boat i'm wondering as far as you've productized how much are you requiring of a customer or a potential customer to be in some sort of an app ecosystem that's going to feed that offering where you've got your standardized tools and you want to make sure that those data sets are going to connect yeah. that
2: you must've been in some of our internal meetings with our retreat this last week. Um. <laughs> I wasn't, but I hear that Scottsdale's beautiful
0: this time it of is. year.
2: Um, it's, uh, yeah, It's um, yeah. That's, that's, an, that's an ever going challenge, right? Like in a perfect world, it's like, here's the tech stack and this is what we're going to do. And this is where we stay. Um, the way I've always kind of pushed back with the team is I've said, hey, if we're going to do the work for them, then yes, these are my tools. And this is what we're going to abide by. But if we're not going to be doing the accounting, you know, we're not paying the bills, we're not paying invoicing, we're not doing payroll, then I don't really care what system they use. Because we're going in, we're grabbing information, and we're pulling it out. That's it. I just need to be able to know how to get in, pull it out, I'll put it in my own stuff, you know, from a forecasting perspective, nobody ever challenges me on using giraffe, you know, because that's my tool. Um, But what they use, I could really care less, like what CSR, you know, what CRM they're on, any of that kind of stuff, because I'm going to extract that data. However, again, if you want me to pay your bills, then I can't be on XYZ, I've never heard of it, ERP system. Sorry, we need to hire internally for that, but we can oversee somebody, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's uh again it, the accounting team would tell you hey let's just use these three tools and call today and not work with anybody that doesn't use these three tools I don't think that's realistic and from an advisory standpoint I don't care you know what I mean because I'm just using them to to move the data in the same way that I want to see it anyway regardless what tool it came out of
1: so to push a little bit further then our are, are, does your firm has a have a niche. I mean, it seems like you're doing a specific kind of work, right? But then you're also doing tax. You're also doing accounting. Where is, where is niching and specialization fitting in to your firm? Or is there something else that you're using to drive the business model?
2: No, it's a great point. And uh, I would say right now we have about 50% of our business is in the creative agency space. Um, you know, that's been diluted a little bit because we merged in with Anders and they already had a, you know, a pretty diverse, you know, uh, space as well. So whenever we kind of merge those two areas um, before that, it was probably a little bit stronger. And I think the the niche matters for for marketing, especially. And don't get me wrong, like the tools and the tech stack. That's that's super important. The other half of our clients, though, are in every industry you could possibly imagine and so i'm not opposed to working outside of that space but i do agree from a marketing standpoint from a competency standpoint from becoming kind of that industry thought leader thing you know that's that's really important um so we are starting to do the same you know, we're, we're doing the, we're basically taking our same formula in terms of how we deliver and how we sell and how we do things into multiple other industries right now. And that's what we're really kind of cultivating as we speak. And we'll start to roll out over the next year or two, we're going to pick industries and just really try to get super deep in them and build out similar models to what we have in the creative agency space in those other spaces. Cause I'm with you, Jeremy, I think, uh, you know, for us, um, I think, uh, I think, you know, being a niche business is, is definitely the way to go unless, you know, don't get me wrong. You can do it by geography too. Like there's some people that just say, I want to be the, the Nashville superstar. They do very well. That's fine. You know what I mean? That's in its own way from a geography standpoint, I guess.
1: Because my, I mean, I, I love the finance. I love the, the advisory part of it, but my heart is more on the tax side of things. And so since you're doing tax for a, a, significant number of your clients. I think you said about 80%, right? So how does that is that factoring into the forecasting work you're doing when you're doing cash flow forecasting and those sorts of things? And what are you doing throughout the year? I mean, obviously you're getting the tax returns done, but are you also rolling estimated payments and planning and strategy and all of those kinds of things in on the tax side as well?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a concierge service. So whenever you're thinking about taxes, a lot of times in most traditional firms, taxes kind of run everything. And then um, cast departments, frankly, in the larger organizations just get breadcrumbs. They get, hey, this tax returns crap. Do you mind doing the books for it? You know, that's what most caste departments are. That's not how we operate. We're the advisory is number one. And so we have a dedicated tax team, uh, so we have a tax director and he has managers and then we have some offshore team members that do all the preparation work. Um, but we have a very regimented. Um, so we do soft tax planners every single month. It's built into our dashboarding. We use a tool called reach reporting for that. we built some custom dashboards, to do soft tax planners. Um, So we do that every single month We, we make our clients get in the memory muscle of moving money into a tax reserve in and out, depending on performance every single month, and then quarterly we're pulling from there to make the estimated tax payments and then each quarter our tax manager comes in and kind of has a different topic to talk about with the client. Um, So going through kind of that planning checklist, doing doing a hard tax planner, we usually do that in the third quarter. So we're going in there and we're pulling their W-2s, getting their personal information and showing them, okay, tax reserves solid. Here's where you're going to be. Um, this is what you need to do. You know, that kind of thing so that the clients just magically don't owe any money at the end of the year um, because we've already prepped and planned for that from a cash flow perspective. That's built into our financial forecast. So you'll see the quarterly payments coming out and what we're estimating at the end of the year to come out. So that by December 31st, they're flush. You know, we're not waiting until April to, to make up for taxes. So taxes are weaved in there. Significantly, And even if we're not doing the taxes, we try to meet with their tax preparer and at least set them up for that. We still do the soft tax planner and do all that kind of stuff. And then we just let them know like, hey, if you need us, let us know. But you have access to this dashboard that shows you what we're seeing from a financial perspective.
1: Love that. Sounds awesome. Sounds like it's a pretty big push. How much are you in percentages or fractions? How much of your clients are actually Going along with that, or actually cooperating with that, and is that factor into deciding what clients you want to keep working with, what clients might not get invited back next year? Um, you, you know, because I, I can, I just know that I have some clients where they'd rather not pay in anything throughout the year. They like the one big tax bill because they want to hang on to their cash as long as possible, or they want to pay off the whole balance with an Amex so they they can get all the points and rewards and all that. So, how are you? you know, it, it, in, uh, enforcement might be too strong a word. How, how, you know, ha, ha, how are you incentivizing or encouraging participation along with that process?
2: Yeah, I think it's really just, uh, you know, again, it comes back to the forecasting. So I don't know that we're um, super militant if somebody wants staying to hang it and don't get me wrong, like we're, we're helping them make those decisions along the way. You know, if we're looking at the forecast and we know next quarter is looking crappy, we're not we're not pumping a bunch of money into that. We're going to say, hey, we think you probably should hold on to that tax payment because of this. But whenever you can show them that the, that's the importance of the memory muscle, you know, like moving the money every month, once it's outside, you can have somebody pay a million dollars and just love you to death. And because it didn't come out of their operations, it didn't come out of their piggy bank, even though it did slowly, they don't really care. And then you can wait until the end of the year and somebody just drop you and cuss you out because they owed $10,000, you know, and they didn't know it. So it's all about showing them what it looks like. And then if they want to hang on to it, it's like, cool, but we're showing them every single month, this is how much should be in there. And if you want to hang on to it, cool, move it to the tax reserve and then prove you don't need it. You know what I mean? Like that's fine, and and that's not a big deal to us. It's just we also are, of course, showing them like, could you have made nine thousand dollars if you would have? Did you make nine thousand dollars on that money that you waited for? Because now you're just giving the IRS an extra nine K because you refused to make your estimated payments. You know what I mean? Like your call. That's not my money; it's yours. But um, you know, if you didn't make that nine K in investment savings and it's just sitting in a an account earning zero money seems silly. But again, I can tell you what the next three to six months looks like. I can show you a lot of times the reason why people don't do those is because they don't know what the next six months looks like. They're in fear. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to give up my cash. And what if I need it in three months? Well, let me
0: show you what it looks like.
2: And they're like, oh yeah, we're good. You know what I mean? So that's the importance of the forecast.
0: So that soft tax planning throughout the course of the year, is that basically just take the effective rate, multiply it by whatever you think income's going to be. And then that's your soft tax planner. There's nope. more that goes into that. And especially from a da- dashboard perspective, like how does that kind of look? Yeah,
2: no, it's exactly right. So we can toggle between cash or accrual, you know, cause we're looking at everything on an accrual, but most taxpayers are on cash. So we can toggle back and forth. It shows a year to date and end of the year forecast. So you can see both numbers side by side. It has like all the tax add backs, in there it has the adjustments for ar already built in there like what it's going to be at the end of the year so we can kind of see all the cash to accrual conversions um and then we got a spot for you know like you know, like depreciate, like real depreciation, you know, kind of in there. It's already plugged in from the beginning of the year. And then we have our tax reserve number, but you're right. We're taking the effective rate. We're just saying, Hey, like 40% times, whatever the net in the adjusted net income is, here's where it is below. It's how much you have in your tax reserve account. And then you see the Delta, you know, what's left over. Um, It's kind of the way it looks and it's just probably 10 to 15 line items. And it's side by side. You see the year to date and then you see the end of the year. And at the very top, you just click between cash and accrual and it just shows you the modifications. It's pretty cool.
0: Gotcha. So is it kind of like an a manual process whenever the tax returns file to kind of go from the tax return to whatever's going to feed that dashboard and those assumptions and that no sort of thing. um
2: like our, so, our dev team has put it together directly from basically everything that the tax team has to do to convert it from accrual to cash they've already done all that and mapped it out and so as soon as they push the financials to reach reporting it just automatically feeds the dashboard you just need to double check and the only thing you have to do is um you know and so if you've if you've line item out which one of your tax accounts is it'll automatically feed that balance otherwise you have to type in how much you've got in there because um, you have to adjust for like estimated payments that you've made
0: yep that's awesome so a dev team that's unusual for an accounting firm how did you how'd you get into that all this damn technology <laughs>
2: our accountants just weren't good at it um and so you know rather than just keep telling them okay so i need you to be a good bookkeeper but i also need you to be a good accountant and i need you to be able to read the financial statements and you need to be able to do all this advisory stuff it's like enough's enough man like tap me out like whenever we were spending so much time just like fixing stupid dates on financials and names and all that kind of stuff we um you know about 10, 15 years ago, we had a, a really good Excel person that created basically everything Excel to be like, like a, you know, like a database, if you will. I mean, she was amazing. You push a button and just everything magically happened. Financials got emailed out that soon turned Once we found tools like, uh, like reach, we had somebody on our team that was really good at not only VBA coding, but then could kind of move into Python and other things. And so we just started hiring a few of those people. So, um, our, fda that really he's our automation director he has uh four team members underneath him and so it's like whenever you're done you're just like hey financials are ready you push a button they create the bots the bots create the financials for you push it to reach push it in and out of our database they do all that kind of stuff so they're creating bots creating automation they're well worth the money
0: that's cool. So when you're saying bots, you're talking about things that are actually coded. So you're hiring like developers, developers, these aren't like no code tools or anything like that. No.
2: Yeah. They can do it all. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. Like at the basic, it's like, it's VBA coding for like Excel and stuff like that. Cause they got to be able to grab big data and massage that stuff out. Um, but they have other skills, like I said, um, you know, into to Python and other things where they know how to use, um, some of the, I mean, you got some of the, um, what's the zapier we, you know we use zapier all the time but mm-hmm. the, there's plenty you know we've been using robot we've been using bots for probably about 15 years now like whenever they were really janky at first but they can build their own bots and do all that kind of stuff microsoft has some pretty cool tools where so they go and they get certified by microsoft to be able to build bots and help us with our automation so some of it's canned off the shelf some of it's them creating it but having somebody that can understand how to connect the two things is extremely important because sometimes you get the tech person and they're like oh yeah i can do all that and it's like yeah but you don't know what it's supposed to look like so it's like, you know, you're talking to a tree and so, and I don't know what they're talking about. So it's hard for me to connect them. Now we have people on our team that know how it needs to go through the the pipeline and then what it needs to look like on the outside, which is huge.
0: That's amazing. So at some point it's just, Hey, the technology is just a pain point. We don't have the time to deal with it or the expertise, you know, either, either way. Right. And then it's like, all right, we need to hire somebody to to deal with this automation because we have these pain points. We're just doing a whole bunch of manual stuff, and we need somebody to deal with it. Is that kind of distilling it down a little bit as far as when the point is when you should think about? Yeah, that?
2: I mean, technology isn't going away. Don't get me wrong; the can stuff is getting better and better and better. And better but um, you know, until blockchain just automatically takes care of all this stuff for ourselves, um, you know, we we do need those those folks to help us connect the dots and. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, from an efficiency standpoint, it makes a huge difference. So I would hire that person sooner than later but, and you can kind of multi-purpose that person anyways. that the advisory senior that I was talking about, they kind of run in that same lane. We just eventually broke them apart so that they could just focus on that. But that's where they kind of started.
0: Okay. So these were accountants first that turned into automation yep. folks? Or our first, were... uh, our first really? three
2: were accounting only. Yep. And then they just had a natural skill and ability for that stuff. And we just kind of moved them in that direction. We thought the first one was a unicorn. And then we got another one and then we got another one and we're like, Oh well, heck, this is great. But then finally they're just like, yeah, we want somebody that's like even more advanced than us. So we started hiring people that were like non-accountants.
0: That's amazing. And so now you've got these tech focused accountants. And when you bring on the tech person, who's not even a little bit account- uh, of an accountant, like they can basically do some tra- cross training. I'm guessing that's how that very much so. works. Yeah,
2: it's it's not like working with a a regular tech person, um, <clears throat> and I say that with all respect. But with tech people, like I said, you explain it to them, and uh, they just don't get it. You know what I mean? They 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 don't know what the end result is. And what I just said to you makes sense. And they do it the way the software is. That's why most accounting software sucks. Is because it was built by a tech person not by a, an accountant, which is why Intuit over the years has been, you know, took all the market share because they kind of built it for accountants and they won, you know, so that's what we're trying to do with our own stuff.
1: So we're running up on time here. Let's bring this back because we probably are going to have a lot of um, individual and solo firm owners like me listening to this. And what I've heard over the last 20, 30 minutes is I should have, I should have virtual CFOs or fractional CFOs working for me, I should have bookkeepers, I should have a tax director, I should have a dev team now, right? (laughs) This starts to seem a little bit, um, you know, just beyond uh, capabilities, right? Say you wake up tomorrow morning, and the firm you're working for just doesn't exist anymore. And you've got to start from scratch right what's your what's your first move? Where are you going other than finding some clients right once you've got that right let's say you've got a few clients enough to pay the bills what's your next move to start building your firm based on your experience and what what you've been able to put together over the last couple of decades?
2: yeah, I mean tools and people are great, and that's what growth means but uh, you don't need all that stuff um, it can be intimidating a lot of times the the people can be intimidating the roles the the technology it's it's really just having that advisory mindset i think if i had that in a pen and paper I could do everything else that i needed to you know and that's what i tell my cFOs coming right out of the gate i'm like hey you have a lot of a business experience you have a lot of just great wisdom lean into that don't worry about you don't know how to do it in giraffe yet or you know what I mean but you sh- let's talk about the fundamentals of talking business and understanding a financial forecast oh and by the way um i need you to read these 25 books you know what i mean because like that's the one thing that um as a profession we're not super well read and there are a lot of great people out there that have that have really been able to synthesize a lot of great information and if you just spend more time reading you know you'll get a real quick shortcut and a lot of this stuff you know uh, again 20 years ago nobody was writing about it nobody said it i mean you had like good to great out there you know those kind of things and those are great books but there's a lot of really advisory specific books where you can lean into a lot of this stuff so my recommendation is is uh read more and just think business not just finance finance you already got can you recommend one or
1: two now
2: my number one always um, from an advisory standpoint, that's it's, it's 40x. So four disciplines of execution. I think that's like that's like my center source of truth. And then as far as scaling and operating a business, um, both for yourself and for the clients, E Revisited is a great book. That was kind of the foundation of our practice. And it's one of those things where it just kind of explains the um, you know the mentality um, of of uh, you know, small business owners. And I think it's a great book and it's an easy read. Um, But then whenever it comes to advisory and understanding like lead and lag indicators, I just think that the common sense approach that four disciplines of execution takes is just a tremendous resource.
0: So Adam, this has been a great uh, conversation. Definitely appreciate it. Tell our listeners where they can find you, and if you want, give a plug to uh, CFO community. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I'd say you know, check out summitcpa.net, um, and you can kind of read more about what we do and how we do it. We're very transparent. Uh, we put all of our stuff on our on our web page. Uh, funny story, like probably it's probably about ten years ago. Um, nobody put the pricing on their page like we do, and we kind of listed it out like it's a software service. We had a couple typo errors. And uh, we're like, oh, this this web somebody would say, oh, this website looks just like your guys is. And then we're like, oh, yeah, they even have the same typo. <laughs> so uh, imitation <laughs> is, is great flattery, but just check, for, you know, do some proofreading, make sure we haven't screwed anything up no, if you're no, going to yeah. just copy and paste. Um, but on there, you'll also see an accountant community um, where uh, we have a Slack channel where there's other like minded people trying to kind of figure out tech, you know, tools, process, those kind of things. Um, but more importantly, we have a course. It's our VCFO playbook, and it just starts from how to build out your service packages. It has our pricing and how we do our pricing, uh, has our SOW in there, everything from start to finish on how we grew our practice. Um, and that's a great tool and resource. And then every Tuesday, Um, Tom, my head CFO, he leads kind of a fireside chat just as a supplement to the course, just so, Hey, if that wasn't enough for you, you know, you're able to ask questions and and apply it to yourself. So if you're thinking about going this direction, that's a great resource for you.
0: That's awesome. Love that. Well, Adam, thanks so much for being on the show. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA advisory show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air, too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Advisory Thanks again.